Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. And I love this book of the Bible, and I hope you will appreciate what God's going to say to your heart through His Word. And I want to encourage you to get in a life group. If you're not in a small group Bible study, some of you probably have never tried that or it's been a long time, and we'd be happy to help you find a life group for uh, adults or for um, any age for that matter. We're back to having that now for all the age groups, and um, it's it's worth your time and attention. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read beginning with verse 10 this morning. The Bible says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Let's look at five lessons of the gospel I'm calling it. I'm going to encourage you to take notes. You have it on the back of your worship guide, or if you're watching online, you can just write these five lessons down, five lessons of the gospel. The gospel is the message uh, that, that God broke into this world. God became a man and lived among us. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life. Jesus died the death we deserve on the cross. Jesus did the miracle that we needed. He rose from the grave. And because of that, we can have a relationship with God through what Christ has done for us. And so I want to talk about five lessons this gospel teaches us. Lesson number one, God is personal. Certainly one of the main lessons the Bible teaches us about the gospel is God is personal. He's not just distant and far removed, but he's personal. He's not just sovereign, though he's sovereign, not just powerful, though he's powerful, but God is personal. God cares about you. You matter to him. He's not just distant, but he is personally involved. God wants something more, therefore, than just religion from us. Many people, instead of the relationship God wants with them, have substituted religion. Now, a relationship with God leads us to religious activities, but religious activities should never be for us a substitute for the relationship God wants. And so let's note uh, what the Bible says here in verse 10. The Bible says, this now has been made evident, speaking about verses 8 and 9. If you're here last week, we talked about, the, about not being ashamed of the testimony, about how the gospel saves us and calls us. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. So would you note two things about this subject that God is personal? No, first of all, He came to us. God came to us. The Bible says, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. God didn't wait for us to clean up our lives and come to Him. We're too broken to do that. None of us can clean up our own lives. None of us can overcome the brokenness of our lives and our, and our past and our choices. So God did for us what we couldn't do. God came to us through the appearing. And secondly, would you know, He cares for us. He cares for us. The Bible says, through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Notice not just the Savior, but our Savior. It's personal. Our Savior, Christ Jesus. He cares about you. You matter to him. He loves you. Christ demonstrated his love in the cross. He shows us his care for us. And God, the, one of the lessons, one of the first lessons to learn about the gospel is that, it, that God is personal. So I read uh, this week, uh, Bob Gibson passed away. And some of you 
probably don't know who Bob Gibson is, but I know a lot of things about Bob Gibson. He was the best, the greatest Cardinal baseball pitcher in history, I suppose. Hall of Famer. I had his baseball card when I was young. I'm from the generation that collected baseball cards. If, if we had kept those in mint condition, we'd, you know, all been rich, but instead we played with them and broke and tore them up and kind of bitter about it, but it happens. Bob Gibson had, in 1968, he had a 1.12 ERA. I didn't have to go look it up to make sure I was right. I just know, you know, from baseball cards and life, I know that Bob Gibson's ERA in 1968 was 1.12, the lowest ERA in the modern era, earned run average, if you don't know that. He, um, Hall of Famer, I've watched lots of interviews of Bob Gibson. He's uh, been on the radio or television. I, when I was in Omaha, I happen to know he's from Omaha. When I was in Omaha, I told Vicki, I said, keep an eye out for Bob Gibson. He's, we want to watch for Bob Gibson. He's from Omaha. I want to watch. I never saw him. I don't know what he, where he is. I didn't, I didn't stalk him or anything like that. I didn't go to his house. I just, I just know he's from there. I know a lot of things about Bob Gibson, but I, I don't know Bob Gibson. I never met him. He never met me. He never asked me for, his aut- for my autograph. <laughs> he never, uh, you know, we didn't send Christmas cards or anything. I know about him, but I didn't know him. And I think that's true of a lot of people when it comes to God. They know about God, but they don't know God. They know some stories about God. In fact, there's even evidence of God, and nature itself shows us evidence of God's power and greatness and ability. But they don't know God. And the gospel is reminding us God is personal. The God who created the universe, who made this world, cares about you. Let that sink in for a moment. He cares about you. You matter to him. You're not insignificant to him. You're not just a number to him. You're not just a name to him. He knows everything there is to know about you. Everything. The worst parts the greatest potential of you. He knows, he knows all of that. And he cares about you. God is personal. There's a second principle I'd like you to know, the lesson of the gospel. Death is conquered. Just write that down if you would, please. Death is conquered. Verse 10 says, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. Well, you say, well, it doesn't seem very abolished to me. I mean, death doesn't seem very conquered. I mean, uh, we see People pass away all the time. I'm going to a funeral this afternoon for a friend. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's conquered. But I, I, the Bible says this, because of what Christ has done for us, because of the, his death on the cross for us, the resurrection, the Bible says uh, death is conquered. Death has lost its sting. We don't have to live in fear of death. Though our bodies die, we live forever. The Bible says we were even made, created to live forever, either with God or separated from God. That's the way we are created. But the Bible says we don't have to live in fear of death. We don't have to live. The sting of death has been removed. I was uh, painting the deck of our house. I've been doing that for a while just to save money and such. And so I was out one day. It was a morning. It was still cool. And I was painting under the deck, under a little part of the deck. And I brushed against something. I heard a little kind of a rattle from the brush, and it was a wasp nest. I'm not a big fan of wasps. It was cool enough. They were still not active, and so I got the wasp spray, and I, I removed the threat. You know, I 
took my life into my own hands and removed the threat. Now, wasps have a sting. I don't know if you've ever been stung by a wasp, but it's a very, it can be a very memorable experience. And there are probably a dozen wasps on this wasp nest and had, you get stung by a dozen wasps and you'll sure enough remember that. I can guarantee you if you live through it, you will remember the sting of the wasp. Or the Bible reminds us, tells us the truth about this, the sting of death that we have. We're separated in death, of course, from loved ones, but ultimately, apart from Christ, we're separated from the Lord himself, separated from God by death. But the Bible says in Christ, the sting of death is removed. We don't have to live in fear of it any longer. Death itself is conquered. It's one of the great lessons of the gospel. There's a third lesson I want you to note about the gospel. By the way, I just want to mention that at the end of this month, we're going to take communion together in our worship services. And we will remember when we do that, the last Sunday of this month, and, and if you're watching online, we'll, we'll have you, if you're vulnerable and you can't join us physically, we'll have you uh, pick up a packet or have it delivered to you if you'd like, and we'll take it all together at the same time. Even if you're watching online or in person, we'll take it at the same time. There's a power to that, a love that we can do that. We remember in communion the death of Jesus, but never without remembering the resurrection of Jesus. We don't just remember the cross of Jesus separated from the resurrection of Jesus. So we recognize full well there's death involved in this world. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But we remember the resurrection. We always remember death in the context of the resurrection. Death is conquered. There's a third principle, third lesson to learn, and that is life is provided. Let's go to verse 10. The Bible says, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So let's talk about the life God provides, two kinds of life. First is the, is the word eternal life. Just write down in your notes if you would, eternal life. The Bible says uh, God brings immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the means by which we can have immortality. That is, death itself doesn't end us. We, we gain in salvation, in eternity, the life that we're longing for deep inside, the home that we're longing for. God gives us eternal life, so much so that the Bible uses eternal life in present tense. It doesn't just say you will get eternal life. The Bible says you have eternal life, present tense. You have it right now. It's yours if you've trusted Christ as Savior. And we get the home that we're longing for, the adoption into God's family, heaven as our home, eternal life. And no matter how great you think heaven is, some of you have probably seldom considered heaven, but if you ever thought how great it'll be, what's the greatest it could be, it'll be better than that. It's impossible for our finite experience to fully explain the greatness of heaven. But I want you to write a second thing, write not just eternal life, but write the words abundant life, abundant life. Because the Bible's here, here is talking about life and immortality to light through the gospel. So notice God wants you to have not just life one day, but he wants to give you life this day this day. There's this terrible divorce among believers between faith and life, this disconnect between faith on the one hand and the rest of life on the other, so that many people, many people who name the name of Christ live their lives disconnected from their faith. So they see faith as something they do, maybe on a Sunday morning if it's convenient, if all goes well, if nothing else comes up. And then the rest of their life, that's how they live. They just, it's just disconnected. And how foreign to the teaching of the Bible for our life, the rest of our life, to be disconnected from the faith of the Lord. How, 
everything in God's word is teaching us, the gospel is teaching us that God cares about our whole life, not just what happens for a little while on a Sunday morning or just on occasion when there's some special need, but God cares about our life in, in total and the gospel ought to affect everything in life, how you think, how you act, what you do. But for many Christians, it's not that way. The gospel doesn't inform how they think. It doesn't inform how they act. It doesn't, it doesn't inform how they treat other people. It's just something they, it's just a little category of their life. But abundant life is what God wants for you, believer. Not just eternal life one day, but abundant life this day. God wants to give you a life worth living right here and right now. So let me tell you a story my um, dad used to tell. So my dad, um, I don't know where he got this story. I mean, he just, he would tell this story sometimes. So he's, he'd tell about this guy who was living in another country and wanted to come to America, the land of freedom and opportunity. And th this is the land of freedom and opportunity. And there are still people who want to come to, the, to America because it's all the freedoms we have, which sadly we tend to take for granted. We've been around freedom. So isn't it sad that the freedom that we have here, we sort of take for granted as though it's no big deal, and so many parts of the world just would long to have what we have here. It's amazing how often that happens. We are, the blessings you have, you ignore. You just notice the things you don't like or problems or whatever, and you ignore the blessings. Common story in life. But people in other countries, and by the way, thank you for all of you who protect freedom. It's a, man, what a great blessing. So this guy wanted to come to the land of freedom and opportunity. He didn't have much money. So he saved up enough money to get on a ship to come from Europe or wherever it was across the sea to the United States. And all he could get was like the cheapest ticket. So he thought, you know, I won't have any other money for anything else, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some cheese and crackers with me. My dad always ate cheese and crackers. He loved cheese and crackers, you know, and that, that's probably why I like this story so much, I guess. And he, and he, but the guy, that's all he had. And as much as you might like cheese and crackers, I mean, like a couple days is enough, right? I mean, you, you don't want that for every meal, every day, all the time. I'd be, there's a limit to the goodness of cheese and crackers. It starts getting stale and old. And so the guy's finally saying, you know, this is a long voyage across the seas. And so he finally said, I got to do something. I can't stand cheese and crackers. So he went to the captain of the ship and he said, can I work or something? Is there anything I can do so I can, because all I got is cheese and crackers, getting old and stale. I'm tired of it. And, is there, and the captain says, wait, hey, you don't understand. This, you got a ticket. The ticket means you get a meal. You, you eat all the meals you want on this ship. You know, you can eat breakfast and lunch and dinner. You can eat at my table if you want. There's a buffet before you. I, the guy just never knew it. And my dad would tell the story as an analogy of what many believers live their life like, like missing the abundant life that God wants for them and just living something less than is their birthright in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, in, in Christ, your birthright in Christ is all the riches of, of the Lord Jesus in Christ. I'm not saying life is easy in Christ. Good night. In this world, sometimes it's so challenging and difficult. It's uphill and narrow and sometimes even sort of lonely, but it's right and good and best. And God wants you to experience abundant life. He's got that for you. He saved you for abundant life. God wants you to experience all that he has for you, all the purposes and plans. And the principle is life 
is provided in Christ. There's a fourth lesson I want you to learn about the gospel, and that is purpose is changed. Purpose is changed. One of the things the gospel does, of course, is change who we are. When you give your life to Christ, God changes you in a, on the inside in a way that begins to change who you are at, its, at your core. Let's go to verse 11. The Bible says, for this gospel, that's a good thing to underline, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. Now, this is Paul talking to us about the change that's taken place in his life. Paul, you may remember, persecuted Christians, and now he is one. He used to hate the gospel, and now he lives his life for the gospel. So let's note three things here. Let's note the new foundation, the new foundation. The Bible says, for this gospel I was appointed. Paul is saying, this is the foundation of my life, my choices, my experiences. My foundation has changed, what I build on. If you're building on the shifting sands of our culture, the winds are going to blow, the rain is going to fall, and that is all, our culture is shifting what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. Is there such, is there such thing as truth? There is no such thing. There's no good, no right, no wrong. God wants you to build on something solid and lasting and eternal. And that's the foundation of faith in the Lord Jesus for this gospel, the Bible says. I read this week a short book. There's really just a testimony of a guy who grew up in a secular home, never knew anything really about the Lord outside of just, you know, the little bits and pieces you might hear from the culture as a whole, and then had some bad circumstances in life. I need something, he said. I don't know where to turn. He got a Bible of all things. Got a Bible, began to read it, really couldn't understand it. He started with a new, there's an Old Testament, a New Testament. He started, he said, what's the shorter New Testament? Shorter, I'll start there. He didn't even know the difference and started in the New Testament and just didn't understand it. But then the little pieces in there, he said, well, I wonder what that means. And little events that God would bring back to his mind that he had heard little details about. And he gave his life to Christ eventually. And it's a short book. I'm making it too long. He gave his life to Christ. His whole life was changed. And I just thought, that is such a, that's the story you could write for those of you who know Christ as Savior. God changes your life. Maybe you haven't seen the significance of it. Maybe you've been living, you know, in cheese and crackers. You've never experienced the abundant life that God wants for you. But I'm telling you that there's a new foundation upon which you build for this gospel. Notice there's a new assignments. For this gospel, he says, I was appointed. God gave me a task, a job, a reason to live. A new assignment. And here's his assignment. A herald, apostle, and teacher. He said that here and in 1 Timothy. He calls himself a herald an apostle and a teacher. A herald is somebody who tells the good news. It's sort of like you younger people will never, maybe you've never even had, I bet that some of you have never picked up a newspaper in your life. There's a, you know, generations before you that that's the only way you could get the news. You didn't have the uh, internet or computers for that matter. And so you could only get news through a paper. And they, I know it sounds so funny to you, but you know, you, like if you want to find out some information, you had to go get the printed word on something. And the, in the old, old days, there used to be guys who would sell them on street corners in cities. And they would call out. I've never seen this. I've just, you know, but I've watched old movies. And they say, extra, extra, read all about it. And you find out whatever's, whatever you wanted to find out about. You know, the president's hospitalized. You know what's going on there. You read about it in a newspaper instead of, you know, a thousand things and all the different opinions of so many, so many experts. And I, I don't know how we ever made it without all the opinions of everybody in the world. It's just... Man, do we, I just feel like we need more opinions from more people who are uninformed. I think that'd be really 
but I digress. And so he, you, the Bible says about Paul, he said, here's, my, here's what's changed in me. I'm a herald now. I can't keep this to myself. So I'm saying to people, there's good news. I want you to find out all about this. I want you to find about the gospel message that changed my life. He says, I'm an apostle. An apostle is one who gives evidence of the, of the resurrected Jesus. Paul said, Jesus died, and I saw him alive on that road to Damascus. And he gives confirmation of that, and he said, I'm a teacher. Paul taught the Bible and taught the things of God. I, I love, I'm so thankful for those in our church who have that gift and use it. You can have that gift and not use it, of course. Any gift you can have and not use. Many Christians have learned that lesson, unfortunately. But if you're teaching, whether it's from the youngest to the oldest age group in our church, I love that you teach the Word. And that's what Paul said. This is what I'm doing. This is my assignment. This is the task God's given me. And then he said, there's new values. And I want you to know, it's right in the Bible. And he said, and that is why I suffer these things. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. Paul's saying, there's something in my life so valuable, I'm willing to suffer for it. And he said to Timothy, hey, by the way, Timothy, it's so valuable, you ought to be willing to suffer for it too. And he'd say to you, I'm not talking about someone else, I'm talking about you. It's so great, you ought to be willing to suffer for it as well. Now I want you to hear this. God's goal for you is more than your comfort. Did you know that? Did you think the goal of life was just your comfort? Did you think the goal of life was just to sort of be like comfortably numb, as Pink Floyd said long ago? Just to be comfortably numb? Is that the goal of life? Listen, if the goal of your life is to be comfortable, you don't want Christianity. I'm just, you don't want to, you don't want to follow Jesus. If that's your goal, just to be comfortably numb, just to kind of live and die. You, Paul said, there's something so, so great that I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to die. That's how big it is. That's how valuable this is. He says, this is like the pearl of great price. I'd sell everything for that pearl of great price. That's how big the gospel is. That's a changed man who went from living for himself to living for something beyond himself. God in heaven wants to do a work in you. He wants to change the purpose of your life. He wants you to see the true purpose of your life is not just to have and not just to get and not just to be comfortable and not just to feel good, not just to what we call be happy. God wants something deeper and greater and bigger for you. He made you for something more. So the Paul could say, and that is why I suffer these things. And Timothy, by the way, if you do too, it's worth it for you as well. There's a fifth thing I want you to write this down. Would you, the, the lesson of the gospel. Hope is granted. Hope is granted. So let's go to verse 12. Paul says, but I am not ashamed. That's the second time he said this. And back in verse 8, he talks about not being ashamed of the testimony. Now in verse 12, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what's been entrusted to me until that day. Paul's saying, I am filled with hope, absolutely filled with hope. And Paul says that while he's sitting in a prison cell because of the gospel. That's not the kind of place you expect someone to be filled with hope. But I'm telling you, in the middle of prison, he said, man, my life is so filled with hope. I'm not ashamed of the gospel in any way. 
Can I just tell you, whatever circumstance you're facing, some of you are facing some bad circumstances and some hard times, some struggles and some trials and difficulties. Can I say right in the middle of your problems, you can have hope. And let me tell you two reasons why. First, because you can say, I know the promise maker. That's what Paul said. He said, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. I know this promise maker. I know him. I don't just know about him. Like Pastor Doug knows Bob Gibson. I know him. He's my he is, my, he is my friend. He is my father. He is my savior. He is my Lord. I know him. And when he makes a promise, I know the one I believe. And when he makes a promise, not only is he a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. The promise maker is a promise keeper. You know, some people will say anything. They, just, they make all kinds of promises. If you get an addiction someday, if that's your future, you young people, just let me point this out to you. If you decide to follow the path of addiction, it's a common, common story, well-worn path. You will, you will end up lying to everybody who loves you. You'll lie to your grandma. One day you'll lie to your grandma. That's, the, that's where it goes. I know it sounds like this will be so much fun. This will be so wonderful. It'll make you whatever it is. Whatever the enemy says, whatever your so-called friend says, it's going to be so great and wonderful. You'll lie to your grandma, the person who loves you unconditionally. You'll promise. You'll lie to yourself. Well, here's what Paul says about God. Here's why I have hope right in the middle of this prison cell, because that guy who's making the promise, he's a promise keeper. And he doesn't say things lightly. And he means it. When he gives his word, he means it. When he talks about eternal life, he means it. When he talks about abundant life, he means it. And so I'm following him because I know I can trust his word. But there's a second reason why you can find hope in whatever circumstance you're facing right now. Not only can you know the promise maker, but I know the promise maker's power, Paul says. I know the promise maker's power. Not just that he makes promises, because you know, some guys make promises and they mean well and they try to keep them. They just can't do it. They don't have enough strength. They're not able to. But notice what the Bible says here. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Are you an underliner? That's three good words. He is able to guard what's been entrusted to me until that day. God makes promises. He keeps promises because he has the power to do so. And the promise maker has the power because he is able. So whatever circumstances you're in, I just want you to know, whatever, whatever maybe you're not in a prison cell right now, unless you can watch online in prison. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But you're in a, a lot of facing a real problem and difficulty. And say, how can I find any hope? How am I going to find any hope in this? Because there's a promise maker who's a promise keeper and has the power to do exactly what he says. And he will. And Paul said, I can trust him. I can trust him. When circumstances are bad, when life is hard, when I don't understand, when I do the right thing and the wrong thing happens still, when the world is just going the wrong direction, when the culture just falling apart. I can trust him. Hope is granted by that promise maker who is always able. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And I want to ask us to pray in a few specific areas. And first, I want to say a word to those of you here who have never trusted Christ as Savior. I'm not saying you've, maybe you've been religious. Paul was religious before he got saved. It wasn't enough. He needed a relationship with God, and so do you. I'm not saying you aren't better than some people. There are people who are probably act worse than you, but you're a sinner just as much as any person in all the world has ever been a sinner. 
Maybe not as dramatic, maybe, but you're a sinner, and that sin has separated you from a holy God. And the Bible says God wants a relationship with you. He wants to save you. He wants to be your Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's how that happens. The Bible tells us to repent of our sin, to turn from it. Recognize that you're a sinner. I'll bet the Holy Spirit's already convicted you of that. Believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the grave. Put your faith in him and not yourself. And then you have to receive him, the Bible says. Receive him. That is, we, we don't just know that he has offered salvation. We receive that gift that he offers. Ask him to save you. Right where you, right where you are right now, just ask him to save you. We say, God, I know I'm sinned against you. But I believe you died for me and rose from the grave for me, and I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, he'll save you. He'll adopt you into his family and start a relationship with you. Christian, I'm going to say just a word to you. When I talked about that story of the cheese and crackers, some of you relate to that because the truth is you, you know Christ as Savior, but you're not living the abundant life. God's got something so much more for you. There's been a disconnect for you between Sunday morning and the rest of the week, a disconnect between your proclamation that Jesus is your Lord and how you live your life at work or school or in your home, your relationships. Would you say, God, I, I, want, I want to learn the lessons of the gospel and I want, that, I want the purpose that I see in your word. I want the hope that I see. I want the life that you offer. I, God, I want that in my life for your glory so that whatever the circumstances of this fallen world, I can trust you because I know you're trustworthy. Father, thank you for your word and the power and truth of it. Thank you for the hope that you provide in Jesus' name. Father, there are some here who need to be saved and you're just reminding them that they cannot make it on their own. Would you draw them to yourself so that they will give their life to you? Maybe they don't even understand yet how big this is, how much it matters, but would you impress upon their heart how much you care, how much you love, and how much they need you? Lord, there are believers here who have uh, sort of been living with a foot in two worlds they know you as Savior, but they aren't living for you as Lord. Would you help them to see you've got something so much better for them, something so much richer, something so much more? There are some here who are facing difficult circumstances, their own form of a prison cell and hard times and struggles and difficulties, brokenness and pain. But you offer hope right where they are because of who you are, because you are able so, Father, I ask you to do in our lives what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.